Hello out there and welcome to another episode of The Green Room with me, your host, Tiana Svita, a podcast presented by The Handshake Agency. Wherever you are and whatever you're doing, I hope you're having a fantastic day out there. And I also hope you're as equally baffled as I am that it's practically mid-August right now. But hey, end of winter, which pleases my stubborn Gold Coast hometown heart immensely. For Green Room fans, or perhaps people that accidentally stumbled onto this podcast last week, you may have noticed we had three episodes out last week instead of the usual one. And no, it wasn't because I just got bored during lockdown and decided to go rogue. In addition to featuring the Aussie hip-hop maverick Masked Wolf on the show to chat new tunes, inspirations and more, myself alongside the incredible teams here at the Handshake Agency and the music were able to bring together 16 Australian music industry experts coming together for a special two-part series looking into the current state of the Aussie music industry amongst the ongoing COVID pandemic and the issues it is presenting to the industry. We dove into some possible roadmaps and we also looked into some general tips as to how we can all try to survive this ongoing struggle as best as possible. It is certainly a bleak time for many right now, but the insight and expertise from my panelists was a really true testament to the incredible perseverance this industry has as a whole. And I just personally hope we can keep getting the word out there to help keep this extraordinary industry alive. Overall, last week's episode certainly played close to home, but for today, we're skipping over to the UK to chat with the band who hold a very special place in my heart and they'd be holding large spaces in more hearts than ever with the very recent release from Essex Rockers' Nothing But Thieves and their brand new EP, Moral Panic 2. For me personally, the first time I ever heard a Nothing But Thieves song, it genuinely stopped me dead in my tracks. For those initiated or perhaps even the uninitiated, there is something truly magical about the brand of alternative rock this British five-piece wield. And it's very clear us Aussies adore them with their previous two trips down under selling out and forcing expansions due to popular demand. While these guys can shred and delight in equal stupefying fashion, it's on their new EP Moral Panic 2, a tantalising direct follow-up to their third studio album Moral Panic, that we see nothing but thieves level up yet again. And just before their latest EP dropped into the world, I snagged some time with Thieves guitarist, producer, and all-round legend Dom to chat about the journey that led to them thieving hearts all over the world. Dom from Nothing But Thieves, welcome to the noisy green room. Thanks to the road and thanks to your beautiful background, but it is such a pleasure to have you with me today. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. Well, I have to get this out of the way up front. Obviously, we have a lot to talk about in Nothing But Thieves Land, but I am a giant fan. I actually, one of my favourite live music memories from way back was I think back in 2016, you guys came out here. It was about this time of year, actually, and you did a little Splinter in the Grass sideshow in Sydney, and it was just an incredible night. I think I held hands with a stranger when Lover Please Stay came on. Everyone was just having this bizarre (laughs) connecting moment, so... I just have and to that's tell how you COVID that started from that guy. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's but funny. Oh, that's very sweet of you, though. Thank you. Yeah. It's just, I mean, we all have such a love affair with you guys here. And I mean, I'm not just saying that because I'm chatting to you, but, you know, it does help. It helps that we have a nice connection already here. But a lot has obviously happened in between that time and now for Nothing But Thieves. I mean, you guys have released 
broken machine, moral panic. And lucky for us, you guys weren't done on the moral panic theme because we have moral panic two, your new EP, literally in the world very, very soon. How does it feel to be releasing this EP in the state of the world and also just in this stage of the Nothing But Thieves story? That's a fantastic question, Tiana, and I'm glad you asked it. Um, do you know what? It's, it's great to be releasing music is, is the fundamental thread here. But I would say it's been very strange for us because normally we would put out a record like Moral Panic, which we did on the latter half of last year, and we would normally hit the road, do tours all around the world and not see our families for a couple of years and then start writing again, record and then repeat. And this just put a complete roadblock in kind of how we do things and all of our plans. Um, but what that did do was kind of like shake us up and loosen us up a bit. So when we were sat there going, well, we should be on the road now, we kind of used that time to start writing and we weren't too bothered, bothered about it. We weren't, weren't like, there's a deadline for a new, new record. There was none of that. It was sort of this time to kill. You don't, you're not going anywhere. You have nothing better to do. So just relax and write some music. And that's kind of how the birth of Moral Panic started. Um, and yeah, from, from there, we just carried on writing tunes, got them, managed to get them recorded, which we did in a remote recording session with a producer, which I'll speak to you more about later. But um, yeah, really, really bizarre. I obviously want a gig. All the boys are hungry to get on the road again, but you've just got to be patient as everyone else has been for the last couple of years, basically. Yeah, I really like with that too, even though it is a continuation of Moral Panic, like this all kind of did come about after it. It's not like anything was like a leftover or left out or cut out essentially from the original yeah. album. Is that correct? Yeah, and we've, we've definitely had it before where we've, we've finished the record and there were some songs that we felt weren't quite right for the main body of work, but as deluxe tracks, they could be their own thing. Whereas for Moral Panic 2, these were all brand new, fresh songs with developed ideas from the Moral Panic theme. And we had kind of learned a lot from that process of recording Moral Panic. So we were using a load of new techniques that we'd like use in terms of production. So it had this kind of like it trail on from the recording process of, of, of the album. So that's why it feels like there's a cohesiveness between them. Um, despite the fact they were recorded over a year apart from each other, it was more we were still to us it was very fresh you know the, you hold on to the album for so long before it's released um but it didn't feel like there were heaps of time i just said heaps i've never said that. that's so australian isn't it heaps of oh, i love it you're more australian than i am <laughs> i know i can't believe i said that I need to, can you like bleep that out or something <laughs> yeah i'm sure we can i'm sure we'll, 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 we'll <laughs> but i think what's really interesting too like i know you have kind of mentioned it right just there like with how you kind of had a bit of a change up in production and that too and like Obviously, you've got the undeniable nothing but thief sound coming through in it, but there's like a little bit of like industrial fuzz on If I Were You and a bit of like hip hop on Future Proof. And can you help me pronounce it properly? Say, say it's the, the French one. You are so close. Sene Rien. Sene Rien. Oh, it sounds much nicer when you say it. No, oh, it really doesn't. I have, I have a dreadful, I wasn't, I wasn't even going to try and do it in a French accent because I would worry that it would offend people, but it sounds even worse <laughs> than my normal accent. So yeah, Sonarian is the, the kind of comically heavy song, which was a new, new thing for us. And um, we just, we, we sat in the room together and just thought, what happens if we try and write the heaviest thing we've ever written 
and we did it and we were at the end of it we we're like this is exciting when we play it back we're like loving it and it became less of a joke the longer we were sat with it and we ended up recording it so that was kind of how that one started and um in the others that you mentioned future proof we spent about well we spent months refining the production on it we really went in like in on how the drums were going to sound um there were lots of like i would say more like you mentioned hip-hop production techniques like using 808 drums and layering that sort of stuff in and how we processed the process the vocals wasn't a traditional rock song of just distorting one vocal down the middle of the song it was like loads of different layers and how the harmonies work with each other so yeah it was kind of merging those um those genres in that song and really spending a time on like time on the sound design and making sure all the nuances were right because you can do hip-hop and rock really wrong i think sometimes and i think we've got it wrong before when we've done demos and i listen back and i'm like that's on the wrong side of the line so we have to spend a lot of time on that balancing act of you know walking the tightrope of rock versus hip-hop so hopefully we've got it right on that song well, I'm biased, like I do think you did, but it's it's really interesting with those different flavors. And I do love that you did say that it was your heavier song. I've already forgotten it. Say say no rain. Say rain. Damn it. <laughs> so okay. so far. But I, I am actually a very, very not so secret heavy fan. And I would actually give my fictional firstborn child to see that one live in action. So <laughs> I, I love obviously, but it's so nice to have that those different shades of you guys. Like you guys have always had many many strings to your bow sonically so it's really nice to see you guys explore this and yeah just flesh ideas out with each release you do that's yeah i mean that's kind of the benefit i think of having written our first record with quite a diverse sound of having like you said a slow ballad like lover please stay that is kind of in the vein of jeff buckley or radiohead and things like that and then you have songs on the other side of the spectrum on that album, like Ban All The Music that has touches of like Zeppelin riffs and things like that. So we gave ourselves this kind of wide breadth of where they're going to go next. Whereas I think if you have one sound and it's pigeonholed there in your first record, you can kind of scare people by going, actually, we're going to mix it up for a record too. Whereas because we started like that, we could kind of like branch off and it wasn't freaking anyone out. And we could bring in influences of synths and electronic drums and different genres. And it didn't seem like a weird move from us. And it keeps stuff so interesting because we're not locked into like, oh, it's got to be two guitars, a bass and drums. Like every time we can just do kind of what we want now. And the freedom there is is fantastic. And I think we wouldn't have it any other way. It's such a fun way to, to write as a band. Yeah. Well, it's amazing because you kind of did set that scene so early on. And in a way, you, like you said, so many fans can get quite, attached to a band's particular style when they first start out so you kind of yeah geniusly set the tone really really well it was it was definitely an accident let's not say <laughs> Love genius it. but i would i would say that with we there's a benefit of having a vocalist like connor where you can throw him on any song and he is kind of the common thread between it and he's the guy gluing all the songs together that really helps and i think not in all songs but there's generally like a darker undertone to the sound of the music um, with Connor sort of floating over the top of it. And the, that juxtaposition is quite a common thread in a lot of Nothing But Thieves music. And yeah, like I say, that teamed with Connor's insane, insane vocal is, um, is what ties it all together, I think. 
Yeah, absolutely. And I think speaking of your team, I mean, obviously you are a resident guitarist and you also jump on keyboard, piano, production duties, like God knows what else. You're probably doing a million other things in the background as well. But like, do you love kind of balancing that creative and more technical side as well with it? I mean, I know you teamed up with Rich Costi on this as well and had just an insane team on Moral Panic too. Like, do you love that equal, like how you've got the stylistic balance is it nice to have that little you know flip between the two in this respect yeah for sure I think I have a real passion for production and even maybe mixing to a degree um it's something that I've learned from this from the start of the band I didn't have it sort of we were still in school actually before the band was a thing so I was very young so I've definitely had to learn it as I go but it's been nice looking back at where we all were actually as writers and me as a producer seven or eight years ago when the band kind of started and seeing how we've all developed and um i personally love being able to produce because the problem we had on the first record i wouldn't say it was a problem but the thing we were struggling with was we had ideas in our head and we couldn't bring them out we couldn't record them we didn't know how to get certain sounds and through just sheer trying and and research and you know trial and error we managed to get better at writing and i got better at production so now it feels like we have this palette of sounds that we know where to draw from to get them i've got like i'm just my my list of gear and pedals and synths is just ever growing to the point where i need to get a bigger room to get in because i'm just slowly getting cramped in by all this (laughs) stuff but it's um yeah I, i do love it and I couldn't see it working another way by going to a producer with like a bunch of songs we recorded on like an iPhone voice note and being like, right, can you make this sound however you want to make it sound? That would kind of scare me. But I get so um, involved in the production such uh, when we're writing that I feel like it's almost part of this the song that um, it would feel strange to strip it right back down and just start again. I don't know. We, um, yeah, we, that's kind of how the process has has developed and yeah i couldn't see it working any other way to be honest at this point and i think there is such a significant stamp on all these songs i mean it can happen with some bands when they're working with someone outside their team but it does really reflect in what we hear on the other side so yeah it's an interesting mix of energies and dynamics but it just comes across so so fluidly it's incredible I'm, I'm glad you think so. And um, I know you mentioned Rich Costi, who is, the, who is obviously an amazing producer and mixer. It's the first time we'd worked with Rich. And unfortunately, we had to do things remotely. So he's based in the US and we couldn't get him to fly over because of COVID. So he was tuning into our studio sessions every day and having to give like feedback over the web, which was crazy. And it kind of worked, but it's not like having someone in the room with you. So there was a lot of after the fact post-production and uh, him and I just going back and forth on the sessions and what we recorded and me adding things in and sending them over and things like that. So it was quite a, I would say, like not even in a bad way, a detached recording process from like what we did in the studio to what happened afterwards and finishing it off. But it meant that we had perspective. It meant that we recorded and then had a few weeks after to sort of live with things, decide if we like them, what needs to be done, and just remotely back and forth all the ideas so it was it was a really interesting process um 
and Rich is just a mad mixer. Like some of them, we would get the mixers back, and I would just smile. I didn't. I, normally, when I listen back to a mix, I'm being just hyper analytical and I'm conscious of all the details being in there. And with this, I would click play, and I would forget that that was what I was meant to be doing, and just be enjoying it. And that you know, that's you know, you're in good hands when that's your reaction. Yeah, a hundred percent. And like, it's just an incredible like arsenal behind all of it like his his track record alone is phenomenal and then you throw you guys into the mix I mean how could it not be amazing but oh yeah you would hope so but there's always <laughs> you have we still have imposter syndrome we still sit there and we're like have we ever done this before all of us have it and uh yeah, that's why it's quite nice to have someone like Rich uh, like at the helm just sort of making sure that you know everything goes to plan and we love that outside influence we're not sure on something we can ask someone and kind of get that third party opinion and you know you're going to trust them because like you say with a track record like his he's got Rage Against the Machine and Muse and Biffy Clyro and they're just a couple of the names like you know he's been working with the big dogs of rock and roll so you can just kick back and go we're in safe hands. Coming up after this short break Dom and I chat how a couple of kids from Essex wound up playing stadiums, breaking up fights mid-show and what's really going on backstage in a nothing but thieves show. Stick around. Steve Bell here. I present the Handshake Agency podcast, Rewind. Each series takes you back to a moment of musical heritage as we present oral histories about great albums of our time from the people who made them. If, like me, you have a geek-like curiosity about your favourite artists, track down Rewind with Steve Bell at thepodcast.com.au, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your favourite shows. I know that obviously, as you touched on, it's not an ideal situation to be doing a lot of this remotely. And I guess as well as we're in 2021, stuff has kind of gotten slightly better and gotten slightly worse. I know in the UK, you guys have actually just dropped lockdown in England. Like it's all kind of become a bit of a free-for-all. Like how is that impacting you guys from your plans at this point in time? Like is it nice to be able to consider live shows with 3D fans after what we've gone through? A hundred percent. I think everyone's probably a little bit sick of working from home. Even us, we have to we have to do it a bit. Um, and I think, obviously, in the back of my mind, I'm I'm slightly skeptical that everything is going to go ahead. They've lifted the lockdown, but the cases are skyrocketing, and maybe more than ever. But luckily, it seems like less people are being hospitalised, so there is a silver lining to it. Without getting too into COVID, because I'm sure everyone's sick of it by now. We just want to make sure we can play gigs as soon as possible in the safest way possible. So we're really, really just like we I keep the tabs on the news constantly, just waiting for like events on uh, sorry, news on events and the entertainment space and just making sure that, you know, as soon as as soon as we can play, we will. So we're playing a tour in October at the moment, meant to be headlining the O2 Arena, which is like pretty much the biggest venue in London until you go to stadiums. Um and that is a dream for us as little kids. We would get, when we get the train up from Essex to London, which is from our hometown, you would see this huge dome on the way into town. And I remember just thinking like, if we ever got to play that, it'd be a dream. And we did get to play it with Muse. We supported them a few years ago. And the fact that we're now headlining it, I still have that like feeling of like a little kid just being like this. And I don't believe it's happening. And that's not because of COVID only. I literally don't believe like, aside from that, that our small band of little wormy kids from Essex have managed to get into that big arena. 
Well, I think what that's what I love the most about your backstory. I mean, I think especially you yourself, like I believe that you picked up with a guitar and then I read that you kind of stuck with it to prove your mum wrong, that you would stick with it kind of thing. And suddenly yeah. you're going across the road to another school, you meet Connor next minute, just casually, you know, supporting news and now it looking at this. Like yeah, it does feel like it was only a few years ago we were still in school. And I guess it's kind of a whirlwind of of stuff with I guess what um, lockdown has taught me was like it, like I said about this kind of roadblock into our plans. It kind of put a roadblock into our lives in that we'd always been on the road for, and even when we weren't, we were recording and we'd be doing it abroad or something. So we'd been away from home for maybe five, six, maybe even seven years. Um, so putting that roadblock in kind of stopped us, and it's made you kind of like have this like take stock of events, appreciate what's happened. It's made me enjoy being at home before. Normally, I'd get itchy feet. I'd like to be home for a few days and be like, I'm bored now. But I've learned to love it. And, uh, you know, there's um, there's definitely has have been some benefit benefits from it and some sort of positive outcomes for, for, for me personally. So, um, yeah, you definitely do look back at it and have have a moment of like, wow, how have we how have we got here? And I genuinely don't believe believe it sometimes. It's crazy. It's crazy. I think like it's in a way as much it's challenged us in a lot of ways but I think it has forced us to kind of look back and I guess because you guys it's almost been like this rocket literally from that moment to now and like I even loved reading like you speaking of live music like you've had so many incredible moments and you've even broken up a fight at a festival I saw you crowd surf to stop a fight like yeah that was crazy yeah We, we were we were in America and we don't have fights at our gigs, but they they only seem to occur in uh, in America if we do, and it's bizarre. I don't know what it is. Maybe they're used to smoking weed more than they are drinking. But these guys were like proper proper drunk, and I saw a fight breaking out, and the security weren't doing anything. And then someone got hit who wasn't in the fight, and I remember just being like, "Someone's going to get seriously hurt here." Um, and I was like trying to get attention from like. Um, my text on the side of the stage and like the security and I was like trying to continue play the gig but also be like someone needs to go and sort that out and um no one did so I just ended up putting my guitar down and jumping off of the riser into the stage and stupidly I didn't realize how big these guys were when you're on stage you're taller than everyone when you're actually on the ground at the same level of them they're still six foot six and you're still five ten so I remember like, looking at this guy and being like, this is a huge mistake. He didn't realise I was in the band, so he started like wrestling me. And then uh, the band stopped playing and like the lights came up. Oh, it was so, so classic. And then they escorted this guy out. Um, and uh, he was actually outside the venue afterwards and was apologising to everyone. And he was like explaining why I was a misunderstanding. And it actually was like, you know, not the worst thing in the world. But it, oh, yeah, I won't forget that one. Anyway. I, I don't know what I was thinking, but. If, if no one else is going to sort out, I think I had to at that point. It's pretty incredible. And I think, like, that was my question. Like, A, who fights during a nothing but thieves set? But, like, yeah, that explains a lot. But also, like, what a wild memory. Like, are there any other memories that stick out as much as that? That seems like a hard one to talk. Yeah, um, that was a, quite a crazy one. Um, yeah, there was one, actually, we were in, um, we were in Japan for the first time we were headlining in Tokyo and we're backstage 
And it's about five minutes before we're about to go on. And I was saying to my tour manager, I was like, no one's in the venue yet. Like, I thought we'd sold tickets, but no one's here. And he was like, no, nah, we, we've opened the doors like an hour ago. People people were here. And I couldn't see from the green room, like, outside, but I couldn't hear anyone there. So I was really, really worried. I was like, obviously, no one's come in or there's been a, like, a problem or something's, like, stopping the gig happening. And I walked on stage and there was a full room of pe- like people. All the fans were in there. But when they get to a gig, they're so respectful. They stand there in complete silence and they don't say anything. They're just waiting for the gig to go ahead. It was unreal. So we would play the song, uh, play the first song. They would cheer. And then when Connor was talking, they would be dead quiet. And like culturally, they're such a respectful bunch of people that they just want to make sure that they're not talking over you or shouting or and they just want to listen to the music and absorb it. And it was the most incredible gig i've ever played it was uh, unreal and conversely with that the following time i went to japan we were playing uh summer sonic which is this huge festival they have in tokyo and osaka and we played on the, the saturday and that evening radiohead were headlining and it was the first time i'd been able to see radiohead live and they're one of my favorite bands and we had the same experience of dead quiet but in a stadium and it was the best setting to watch radiohead because you could hear every nuance you could hear the band talking to each other on stage in the stadium, which is unreal. So, yeah, I think that was a real, real shock and a real pleasure to be able to, like, experience that firsthand. Um, and it's so funny when you go back to the UK and everyone's just, like, you know, throwing piss on each other and stuff. <laughs> I hope that we were a bit better behaved for you in Australia. But, yeah, we're pretty, pretty rowdy bunch. Us One of the best Australian gigs we played was in Brisbane. First time we went there, we ended up getting uh into the crowd for the last gig and we were pulling all the instruments into the into the crowd and we were like playing in the mosh pit and people were like falling over me and like like trying to strum my guitar for me and the song obviously fell apart because we were just like getting like pulled everywhere but it was like the one of the craziest gigs we've ever had it was so fun I love that. That's very on brand. I'm actually from Queensland myself, so I may nice. very well have been there. I'm sorry there if you I didn't go. guitar in advance. Whoops. Yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> Holding hands. What, what's next? God. Um. <laughs> Honestly, it was so good. We love, we love, oh, it's making me nostalgic wanting to play all these gigs again. I almost need to stop talking about it. Okay, God. let's move on then. Well, I was going to ask you a question somewhat adjacent, but it's taking you backstage. So because I've dragged you onto the green room today, when you can well, get on the road and get touring, what is an item that you will want backstage with you in your green room to ensure you get through the show in one piece? That's really good. That's a really good question. I guess um, I can go either answer this sensibly or not. Maybe I'll do both. Yeah, let's um, do both. Let's do it. We, um, I normally play after like a beer or two because I get slightly n- nervous, even still. Like I think once you have a beer, you kind of, your nerves settle. I wouldn't say it has to be a beer, but it's just something that has a slight alcohol content to ease the, uh, ease the nerves a bit. That's kind of key for me personally. We also, this is so nerdy, but we had this entertainment system built, which is a huge flight case with a flat screen TV in it, speakers either side of the TV, and then like PlayStation and Nintendo and all this stuff. And the, the, the crew wheel it into the dressing room, take the front panel off, and it reveals this like really nerdy gaming system. And we listen to music on it, and you can connect your Bluetooth and all that. And that is like having a living room everywhere you go. So when we got that built, we were like, this is just, this is life now. Sometimes you're playing FIFA and you're like, we've got to be on stage in five minutes. 
but we've got to also win the game. So <laughs> we have to. Yeah, why are they late? Um, it's technical reasons, definitely. Yeah, technical reasons. Yeah, it's gone to penalties. That's why. Yeah. <laughs> um, that's not nerdy. That's probably the best thing I've ever heard because I finally got a Nintendo Switch just before lockdown, and like I tell yes. you. Like, while you're on stage, if you see a blonde girl with glasses backstage holding a Nintendo Switch plugging in, it's not me. <laughs> you're going to have to come and play Mario Kart because we get very competitive. Um, you'll see the worst aspects of my personality come out during Mario Kart, and I will apologise profusely. It's okay. I think that's almost what the game is designed to do. So that will oh, be you and everyone else playing. Don't worry. Fantastic. Well, I love all of this, but for now, I know that everyone is just so excited to have this incredible new music out with Moral Panic 2 coming into the world. And he's hoping it's not too long till we can see you, but doesn't matter how long, we'll all be here ready and waiting. Fingers crossed we will be back as soon as possible. Thank you so much, Dom. It's such Thank a Thank you, Diana. That was great. Thank you. Great. Cheers. Suffice to say, I will be packing my Nintendo Switch the next time nothing but thieves come to town in Australia. A very big thank you to Dom for sharing some epic stories and some insights into the incredible new Nothing But Thieves EP, Moral Panic 2. It is out and about in the world right now. And trust me, there ain't no party like a Nothing But Thieves party, and this EP is honestly beautiful. Go give it a spin and try not to drool. I dare you. A huge, huge thank you to Dom overall for spending time with me today. And no doubt we'll be seeing and hearing a heap more from this lot in the not so distant future. If you've been listening to The Green Room for a while, you'd be used to me trying to switch up the regular rant about liking, subscribing and or sharing this podcast. Let's keep it simple today. If you like The Green Room, tell a mate or chuck a cheeky subscribe on Apple Podcasts. Or maybe even hop on the old YouTubes. Have a watch. Today's interview was recorded at night for me, so I look especially like a vampire, which is just fantastic news for everyone. As always, you can grab a listen to previous Green Room episodes. Maybe you want a little bit of Jimmy Barnes or perhaps some Auntie Donna in your life as you try to make sense of the world. You can head on over to thepodcast.com.au and check out what you've missed, or you can always listen via Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you like to get your podcasts. It's been an absolute treat to hang out with you today. I will catch you next time. from the Handshake Agency Network, produced by Tiana Speter and Andrew Mast, with Pharrell D'Souza and Henry Gibson providing research, recorded and engineered by Zig Parker, executive producer Craig Trewick.